BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. Today's show is, I think, one that I've talked to a lot of you guys about just because sometimes you DM me about your personal things. And so today's guest is Clara Byrne. She is the heartbreak coach. Now, I wanted to bring her on because, you know, breakups, whether that's in a relationship or in friendships, is kind of a part of life. And Claire has a method to kind of like coach everyone through it to make sure that they're coming out happier and more successful on the other side. I think she has a really compelling story in terms of her own experience that has led her to this place. And so I just think that if you're navigating a breakup, it's really tough. And I hope that this conversation kind of brings you hope and gives you tangible tools and takeaways as to how you can get through it, how you can reflect on it and make sure that you're showing up as a really strong partner in future relationships. So before we dive into the episode, I want to read out this week's review, which comes to us from Tal Toadmore. I hope that's how you say it. And they say, love everything about this podcast. I'm a fairly new listener, but have been binging. Love the mix of business and wellness. Thank you so much for leaving this review. I'm going to call you Tal because it's much easier. And you guys, if you do feel like the show brings you value or you've really enjoyed a specific episode, I would love to hear from you. Honestly, nothing brings me more joy than seeing your reviews. It really does mean so, so much to me. All you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I have earned it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, tell me anything you want me to hear. I would love to know everything from favorite episodes, why you like the show, guest recommendations, 
past guests you've really enjoyed, favorite topics, literally anything you can give me is so valuable to me because my goal is always to show up as the best possible host. My goal is to constantly iterate and improve on the show. I'm really rooted in delivering content that brings value to you guys. And I can do that based on the feedback that you guys give me. So literally any feedback you can give me is so valuable to me. And I I really do not take it for granted. So please take some time and leave me a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me. All right. With that, let's welcome Claire Byrne to the Dream Bigger podcast. I want to like before I get too into just like talking offline, I wanted you to share how you even got into this work because it's very unique. Absolutely. I mean, trust me, it was never, you know, as a kid, I wasn't like, I want to get my heart broken a bunch of times <laughs> and then teach people how to navigate I a heartbreak it. coach. <laughs> But so I'm 42 right now. So I was an actress in New York and L.A. throughout my 20s and my 30s. And I really loved drama off the stage and off the camera, too, (laughs) and got involved in a lot of pretty dysfunctional relationships and found myself in a relationship that I describe as my rock bottom at 29 and 30 years old. And I really just didn't know which way was up, Sif. Like everything just it was it was a pain that I had never experienced before. And being someone who was pretty functional and organized and very motivated with acting and a go getter, just everything felt so hard and so heavy. And the pain felt so daunting and crippling and unbearable. And then I thought, is there something wrong with me that I'm feeling this way? And that it continued and I couldn't let it go. And I was ruminating and, you know, unpacking it and psychoanalyzing everything that happened and questioning things, questioning me, shaming myself for not listening to my gut and really struggling with letting it go and letting myself go and compromising my values with someone who I describe to be a narcissistic sociopath leading a double life, denying to me that what I was sensing wasn't true, that I was crazy for believing it. Gaslighting is real. And, you know, but at 29 and 30 years old, I wasn't on this like spiritual journey or soul searching path. So I didn't understand what narcissism was. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what me being an empath was and how to, you know, manage being an empath because you can, you know, I don't know if you are or you identify as an empath, but it can also be your superpower. But if you don't have boundaries and if you're not listening to your gut and soak it all in and give to a fault and excuse to a fault. And so needless to say, lost myself, became a shell of a person physically, mentally, emotionally, very underweight. I just could barely function. And I sought out help. I was in New York City when all of that unfolded. But I really was, as I said, an actress. So it was feast or famine lifestyle. I really at that time was broke as a joke. I was teaching yoga. So I was a little bit on my spiritual path. But also I was shaming myself because I felt like a phony because I was showing up talking about cultivating peace on the inside. And I was just feeling like I was dying on the Mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. Then ultimately moved to back to L.A., found an amazing therapist, really started working on the trauma of that with mindfulness, self-compassion, which really kind of made the yoga teachings more practical for me. But I still kept attracting unavailable men. They were way better than that rock bottom X. And ultimately, I discovered coaching and just really focusing on how to change my story, change my story about myself changed my story about those relationships and changed my story about 
who I was today and who I wanted to attract next, which is really oversimplifying the way that I'm describing it. But this is a long answer to your question. And ultimately just got my heart broken again in 2017, now six years ago. And that was when I was already a coach. I got certified to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And this was when I was like, okay, I'm in a lot of pain right now, but... I could really do something different here. I have the tools. I'm equipped. And I got curious and I started looking into who out there is a heartbreak coach. There must be someone with that niche. And in 2017, Sif, I could barely find anything. And this is only six years ago. Now, you know, on Instagram, you know, life coaches, relationship coaches, breakup, breakup coaches, finding love coaches, you know, it's saturated out there. But at that time, there was nothing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it was just that aha moment. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the person to create this. And so I created a process. Just my business just took off. I started writing for Kourtney Kardashian's Poosh and started my own podcast and then found the love of my life. Only a couple of years later, I was like, if I can do this heartbreak thing, I can definitely find love. And so now I have a healing heartbreak and finding love process. I love that. And I really do think that really good businesses that are so fulfilling and like so purpose-driven are usually born from our own needs. So hearing your story and not only hearing about how you kind of healed from all of the, like, like recovered from all this, healed from it, and now are in, you know, a healthy relationship, I'm sure it gives hope to a lot of people who may be at that point where they are either hitting rock bottom or they keep attracting the wrong kind of person. So What's interesting about your story is you're saying that you hit your rock bottom relationship and then you had a few more series of heartbreaks before you found a truly healthy, happy relationship. So what happened in those years? Because I think a lot of people have a similar experience where they're like, rock bottom, never again. And then yet they still keep attracting that type of person. Yeah. Great question. Because you also, a lot of people come to me who said, I've been in therapy and it still keeps happening. And that was me too. And that doesn't knock therapy. And I'm not here to Mm -hmm. say one is better than the other. The therapist I found here in LA was absolutely incredible and served me perfectly at that time. And then the coaching component came in of like, how do I actively change this story? And also, and this is what I do with my clients, You know, I don't say that the name of my program and my podcast is Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better. I do serve women only. I don't care about the sexual orientation. So the pronouns apply whatever pronoun works for you as you hear this, because I think heartbreak and finding love is, of course, a universal lesson. But I don't say stop wanting him back and then find the next person. It doesn't work like that. I can't control that for you. But Mm -hmm. what I do always see with my clients is, you know, there's a big process in between healing your heart and finding someone better. I teach the falling in love with you component, which again is very cliche. You hear it being overly used in the self-help world. But where have you been abandoning yourself? Where have you been neglecting yourself? Where have you been shortchanging yourself in many different areas of your life? For me, I was beating myself up about my body. I was acting and modeling at the time. So it was a recipe <laughs> for disaster to it's really easy. indulge that. And then, of course, artist lifestyle. So I wrestled with my money life. I wrestled with my confidence, uh, you know, my 
trying to create a successful career for myself. And then I was doing it with men. And so for me, I really felt like, and this is going to be different for every single person. I have people coming to me that are great with their money life and their bodies and family and friendship and all of that. But there's something going on that's where you're being unavailable to yourself. And we just have to keep healing that and figuring that out. And it might take two or three more partners or five more partners for you to figure out what is the healing lesson here? Mm -hmm. What is the growth lesson here? Which really requires patience and resilience, right? Because nobody wants to get disappointed again. Have you noticed that when someone keeps attracting like a very specific kind of person, it's on account of certain like toxic patterns or like limiting belief systems or maybe something that happened in their childhood? Like what is like what why why that why okay. that pattern the biggest toxic pattern that i see which is not your exact question but this is a perfect example and it just keeps happening with one of my clients in my group program she's doing so much work on herself and i'm just thinking of her because i was recently mm-hmm. coaching but i see this all the time i did this all the time going too fast too soon thinking just because there's a spark here and you're hitting it off and you've got a lot in common and he's smart and he checks off all the boxes, you start seeing them five times a week, talking to them all day, every day, and assuming you're on the same page. And maybe you don't ask the questions like, what are you looking for? And in some cases, they do ask, what what are you looking for? The other person says, I'm looking for the same thing that you are, but are you paying attention to the behavior? And Mm -hmm. are you taking your time to slowly get to know someone? I always say to my clients, and this was a big learning lesson for me, you know, let them see you on your period in like the the worst of moods. And are they going to sign up for you at your worst? You know, Mm -hmm. it takes time to really get to know someone and decide, are you really beyond the chemistry and the attraction and the excitement, the right fit long term? What do you think is the right time to ask that question of like, what is it that you're looking for? Because, you know, I've had conversations with my single guy friends and girlfriends. And, you know, sometimes it's like the there's almost like a mismatch where someone puts themselves out there too soon. It's like, okay, like first date, I am looking for marriage. And maybe that is the right way to go about doing it if that's kind of what you're looking for. But like, what is the right time? Because also, Maybe someone wants the chase and maybe they don't know if they're ready for marriage on the first date. Great question. You know, first of all, on the apps, they often give you, especially Bumble. Mm-hmm. Can't remember if Hinge has the are you looking for a relationship or not. But, you know, I think that that's a great way to show up on your profile saying what you're looking for. Right. Checking off the box because it could say looking for something casual, don't know yet, looking for a relationship. And I would really be paying attention to the people who are checking off looking for a relationship. And if they don't have anything checked off or they say they don't know yet, but the rest of their profile, you know, has enough that you're intrigued, you can find out later. Again, are you willing to be patient and take time to get to know the person, gather the information and find the right time and window Mm -hmm. to ask that person what it is that they're looking for? My clients who come to me, Sif, are investing in either healing their heart and or looking for their person. So if you are on a mission to find your person, I don't think we should be apologetic about that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we should be sheepish about it. I also say even if you check off the looking for a relationship box on your profile, use one of the prompts that really enforces that search, right? Use a prompt that says something I know I used on my profile right before I matched with my partner. You know, what are the 
five important characteristics that you're looking for in a relationship to show that you're Mm -hmm. serious about it. But I can't imagine in the first three dates that there aren't there isn't one window to ask that person Mm -hmm. what it is that they're looking for. You know, I know it can feel clunky. I know it can feel awkward. But I would say in the first three dates, there has to be a window. Now, if it doesn't happen till four or five, fine. But if you're on a mission to find your person and on a mission doesn't mean, you know, getting graspy and attached and, you know, squirrely about it. But just, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. Curious what you're looking for, because I don't want to waste your time or my time. For me personally, I don't want to get to date five to find out with some because by the time, in my opinion, if you get to date five, you're pretty interested in that person mm-hmm. and you're hoping they're interested in you back. I think if you're still like and eh, not sure by date five, probably it's not your person. So essentially, it's aligning on what you're both looking for without saying that, okay, but you are my one. You know what I mean? Yes. Establishing, are we looking for the same thing? Yeah, and then exactly. it's like, and then exploring whether it's like a mutual fit, you know, but like putting it out there that this is what I'm looking for. I'm not sure if you're the one, Yes, <laughs> but like, this is kind of my intention. And Sif, that was the exact conversation I had with my partner because he lives in Santa Barbara. I ultimately moved to Santa Barbara, but we matched here in L.A. And the second weekend, we were spending time together. Mm -hmm. I I, I was driving up to Santa Barbara and I'm like, Claire Byrne, you do not get to turn around and come back to L.A. without this information because I was really feeling it with him and I wasn't messing around. And, you know, it was my time was precious. I was running my business. It's a lot of emotional energy holding this space for my heartbroken clients and my clients looking for love. And I just said that to him. I was like, this is an awkward, you you know, his profile was blank. (laughs) And so I was like, what are you looking for? And he kind of got a little shifty. (sighs) And I said, look, I'm not asking, are you looking to be in a relationship with me? I'm just wondering, are you looking for anything? Mm Because, you know, he was he's a dad with four kids. He has a very demanding job. And it's Mm -hmm. an important question to ask. And like once you kind of got the answer, you were able to move forward, basically. Absolutely. And I can honestly just say for myself, because I knew I was so interested and the empath in me was so drawn to him, Mm -hmm. it was an important question to ask. Because honestly, Sif, if he said, yeah, no, I'm not really sure, you know, I'm only like, you know, coming out of my marriage after a couple of years or whatever, I would have been like, this sucks, but I got to go because I'm so done with like waiting for someone to change their mind. So is that something you recommend then? Like if someone is like, well, I'm not sure, but I'm like figuring it out. Would you say like if say, for example, we are in a room like where it's our second date and I'm like, I really want a relationship. And you're like, I am not sure where I'm at right now. Is it like would you recommend that your client kind of walks away from that because the chances of someone actually deciding, okay, now I want a relationship or lower and to avoid disappointment or like, what's your recommendation in a situation like that? I always say to my clients, I'm not your mom. Mm -hmm. I'm just your coach. But I have never in my eight years now of coaching heard someone being like, I'm not really sure yet. I'm still figuring it out, turning out to be the one for them. Huh. Ever. That is fascinating. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't happen, right? There's always an exception to every rule. I feel like I spend so much time on my podcast and (laughs) talking to my clients to say, I just feel in this case. Perfect example of this, had a girl, date one, totally intrigued by this guy who told her that relationships are third on his priority list, right? Travel and health were above relationship. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
okay, it's a clear no for me, but she had to date him for six more weeks to find that out for herself. Fine, mm-hmm. right? It's six weeks out of her life. I think it's more important for her to see for herself if she's just not fully believing what I'm believing. And it was really the first person she was starting to date under my watch. And I was like, so next time when someone says this, can we nip it in the bud that much sooner? Yeah, 100%. But if you need to find out for yourself because you're holding on and there's some exception to the rule and you need to see it through, go do that. But I would say more often than not, it doesn't turn out to be your person. You guys know that I am absolutely obsessed with hair and skincare. And so I am always looking for ways that I can level up my routine. And there's actually a podcast episode coming up in maybe two weeks with a trichologist who specializes essentially in hair care. And you'll hear her talk about how important it is to sleep on a silk pillowcase because it does things like protect your hair from breakage. It reduces frizz. And so I love sleeping on a silk pillowcase. The one that I use is Blissy. And so I'm really excited to be partnering with them on the podcast. So it is time to upgrade our sleep with Blissy's award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases, okay? First and foremost, if you struggle to find the cool side of your pillow all the time, Blissy silk pillowcases are amazing because they're temperature regulating and have naturally insulating properties. So if you sweat and overheat while you sleep, this is such a good solution. On top of that, of course, it's great for hair. As I said, it helps with, helps prevent hair breakage. It reduces frizz, tangles, and it also keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin because silk does not absorb the moisture off your face. So you can say goodbye to wrinkles, dry, flaky, and red skin in the morning and wake up with healthier hair and skin. So Blissy pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic. So you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes. They're great for those with allergies. And unlike other silk pillowcases, they're of the highest quality silk and are machine washable, durable, and have a zipper to hold your pillows in place. So for me personally, the machine washable piece is super, super important because listen, I don't have the time to wash my pillowcases by hand. Effortlessly level up your hair and skincare routine by essentially doing nothing while you sleep. These pillowcases are amazing. So of course, Blissy has an offer for you guys. First and foremost, they have so many prints and colors and make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. We have a neutral, like creamy color in our bedroom. They have over 1.5 million raving fans and you could be the next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash dream bigger and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y.com slash dream bigger and use the code dream bigger to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, 
The learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, a creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. When people are out dating, oftentimes it's like, you know, you and I'm sure everyone has gone through it where you're like not sure if they're interested or not. Even if they say they're in a relationship, it's like the hot, cold, like breadcrumbing, love bombing situation. When do you know it's a red flag and that you should run for the hills? There's so many different circumstances that I could offer. But just the fact that if he is or they are breadcrumbing you, doing the hot and cold behavior, not really sure when you're going to see them yet. I don't care if you have the official label Mm -hmm. on the relationship. Just that alone shouldn't be good enough for you. I think what ends up happening in my own experience, and I tend to draw clients who are similar to me, is but I just I like him so much and we get along so well. And I haven't liked this person in liked someone in so long. And and I just I want to see it through. But they're literally giving you crumbs and treating you like shit. And you're just grasping on to that little sliver of the good. And when you're doing that, that's when you should know to walk away. And then people say, well, what if there's no one better? Right. And, And what I always say is you're better. You should love your own company and, you know, enjoy that until you find better. And better Mm -hmm. is out there and better will be more available to you when you stop settling for the bullshit. Well, also, I think that oftentimes people kind of use dating as a means to an end and they don't even enjoy the process. And then it's like they're just so like the energy they're giving out is like so desperate for the one that And I just I don't think that anything works that way. You know, I don't think you can be giving out despo energy and get the outcome you're looking for. You know, I just I just don't think so. I totally agree. And I actually just wrote an article for Poosh and it's called Relation Shopping. And people are just like mindlessly swiping, always thinking that there's something better. But I do think that desperate energy does come through on that. And it's really off-putting. It's energy, right? Energy doesn't lie. And that's the bottom line. So you can mindlessly swipe and then tell yourself, oh my God, it's so impossible to find someone and it's just so hard. But are you really intentionally thinking about who that person is? And are you intentionally swiping slowly and consciously and keeping your eye on the prize amidst all the bullshit people that are on there? But when you're really slow and intentional, the likelihood is that person is going to arrive. Yeah, 100%. So I want to talk a little bit about attachment styles Mm -hmm. because, you know, actually, can you explain to our audience what the different attachment styles are in case they don't know? I'm only really familiar with three attachment styles. Okay, the anxious, anxious attachment style, which is what I identify with. And I'm not going to describe this perfectly, but... 
ultimately something happened with the bonding in childhood between child and parent. This is, a you know, how they came to be, mm-hmm. right? Where like the parent was somewhat, sorry, mom and dad, I love them madly. <laughs> <laughs> something happened where I became very anxiously attached, where there, there was uh, an absence or a need for some kind of security that like the parent and whatever, I, I, I'm not trying to throw any parents under the bus of because course, I have yeah. a lot of clients who have amazing parents like mine. I also was raised by Irish Catholic parents. I'm from Ireland. And so I think love languages, my love language is very different from theirs, even though the love is undeniable. And so there's something about that absence of them being there in times of need to the point that you feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. And then the avoidant attachment style happens when... I don't know. They're just shutting down their emotions and detaching because they're not getting what they want. So you have a different response. And so then there's this beautiful dance that occurs between the anxious attachment style and the avoidant attachment style. So on the one hand, I say my rock bottom ex, he was a narcissistic sociopath, I I believe through and through. But then as I started to date and continue attract unavailable people, they were way better. They were good people. Avoidant attachment style, people with avoidant attachment style are good people, but Mm -hmm. the anxious and the avoidant are like moths to a flame. And so what happens is when the anxious attachment style person gets really anxious and needy because the avoidant attachment style starts shutting down. It's a recipe for disaster. And then what I started doing as I was working on myself, but still attracting unavailable men is then I'd be like, okay, Claire, I'm going to stay in my own lane and pull back and just take care of me and come into my body and know that I'm safe. And every time I did that, the avoidant attachment style guy would smell that and then come back. And so that felt really fucked up because, you know, it was like, oh, in order for me to pull back, in order for him to come back, I have to pull back. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like a game. Yeah. And then the third attachment style is secure Secure, attachment style, which is my partner. And I'm always like, God, it must be nice. (laughs) And then he said in the beginning of our relationship, because I was asking him, I'm like, you definitely have secure attachment style. And he was like, well, so do you. And I was like, definitely not. I've just done a lot of work. But my anxiety still came up in that relationship, even though he was consistent and lovely. I was just freaking out because the trauma from the past is real. And when you attract what you want to actually have happen, I don't know if you experienced this with your business, right? Mm -hmm. You start to freak out when it's working, too, when so much hadn't worked in the past, whether it's relationships, business, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel more secure, but I still notice little anxiety, little bouts of anxiety coming up. But I have worked through and healed so much of that trauma that I can manage it. And I can also talk to him about it in a way that's productive and not accusatory or needy or Mm -hmm. insecure. Just like, whoa, my body just had this crazy sensation when you said this thing, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, I always say trauma can still live in the body, even though we've processed it and Mm -hmm. healed it, but it can still come up because our brains uh, are crazy. (laughs) What can we do, like for people who have either the avoidant or anxious attachment style, what can they do to heal and kind of have healthy relationship patterns or optimize for whatever attachment style type that they are? Great question. I think, do you mean for if the two of them are in a relationship together? Or someone who's single, like uh, someone who is anxious and then person number two, avoidant. Like what can these people do to attract the right partners and also clean up their side of the street, right? Because it's not just like it's that person's fault. Like I feel like when dysfunction is 
constantly happening in, in a relationship or you're attracting dysfunction in like partners, that is also on account of work that you have to do on yourself. Absolutely. So what so, are things that, yeah. First and foremost, for the avoidant attachment style people, and I love that you say it's not one person's fault versus the exactly, other, but yeah. it tends for the anxious attachment style, and I speak just because that's my attachment style, mm -hmm. it often seems very easy for the avoidant because they can just check out and that's mm -hmm. comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And when they check out, the anxious attachment style is just freaking out, right? And it's very, very painful. So I just hope that the avoidant attachment style person is wanting to heal and wanting to do the work. Because I do believe there were a few men who I dated, Sif, who are good men who genuinely wanted relationships, but also didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Like, didn't get the emotional needs of myself. And this is what I see happening with my clients. And I don't think my clients are victims in their circumstances by any means, but I see them really actively doing the work, really staying in their own lane, really managing their minds when they're not hearing from him within five hours of the text message that they sent that brings up all the anxiety. And, you know, the frustrating part can be that the avoidant, even when it's addressed, is like, I don't even know what you mean. So mm -hmm. I think I think the, for the avoidant and the attach, attachment style people to educate themselves on the other type would be really helpful if you want to make a relationship work, because that's where the attraction tends to be mm -hmm. until you ultimately heal that part of you for the most part. And go to therapy, go hire a coach, get in touch with whatever it is that your blocks are. And I think for the anxious attachment style Stay in your own lane and really look at what you need to make yourself feel safe. Because for the anxious attachment style person, it really is about emotional safety. And the best kind of emotional safety you work you can do is that work on yourself. I am safe. I am loved. I am secure. I don't need love in order to thrive in my life. I want love. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. But I'm going to create that with the right person. Mm -hmm. And yeah, again, for the avoidant attachment style to really work on unblocking the blocks <laughs> of, you know, feeling like love is unsafe or if I open myself up, I'm too smothered, right? And learning how to communicate what you actually think and feel. So that really starts with a good therapist or coach or healer, whatever fit is best for you and peeling back those blocks and those layers. But then there's a, there really is truth to it. And I saw this in my relationship now. There's only so much you can work you can do on your own. And then it's the work of coming together because. Of course, like it's I mean, if you no matter how much work you do, if you're with a partner or like or attracting someone who just isn't giving you what you need, like even it can drive like a secure attachment style crazy, you know, oh, because. And, and trust me, it drove Larry, my partner. <laughs> yeah. It drove him crazy at times because he's like, what? Yeah. You know, and. To give myself credit where it's due, I was really articulate and communicative most of the times, but other times there were just there was just a trauma response. Mm. And thank God, you know, he was there to catch me, but it was also frustrating for him. But even though he's secure attachment style, he had his own trauma in past relationships too. So I've helped him heal that too, yeah. you know? And I think that that's an ongoing conversation for the rest of your lives. I don't think it's like come together, figure out your shit, and then never address it. I think it's ongoing communication, as I said earlier. Sometimes those little bouts of anxiety come up. Or when he travels, I don't feel insecure like, oh, what's he doing? Who's he with? But mm -hmm. I do feel this discomfort in my body. And it's like, okay, 
this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. I can breathe with this. I can connect with him. He's safe. Like, I get anxious, like, is he going to get there safely and yeah. all of that stuff. So to just keep always working on yourself and healing yourself and investigating what you're thinking and finding compassion and patience because, like, our brains are just, you know, going a million miles a minute. We have so many different distractions right at our fingertips. And so it's really important to keep checking inward And if you really want to create a healthy, happy relationship, it doesn't matter what your attachment style is. You absolutely can do that. But both parties need to be willing and willing to hear each other, willing to do the work and willing to compromise. A hundred percent. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So if someone is going through really, really bad heartbreak and they are very much in their feels right now, like they, they've they gotten their heart broken very recently, what do you do? Like, say I'm coming yeah. to you. Hey, Claire, I've, yeah. I've like just horrible relationship ended. What can I do? So I have a five step process. I always say it's not linear because heartbreak can feel very messy and unclear and foggy. The first step is cut contact, which is really hard for people to do. And if you're not ready to do that yet, give yourself the grace and space to not do that. But again, as I just said, everything is at our fingertips. We can know where our ex is at all times if we want to. And even if that person or you're not following each other anymore, you know, if you're connected to mutual friends, it's just so much easier to disconnect And I know it's super painful, but rip the Band-Aid. If you really want to get over the person, I see it as an addiction, right? Wanting to keep tabs on everybody. Or I definitely felt like I had this addiction to, you know, the person and the absence of the love, right? The withdrawal of oxytocin, the serotonin, the dopamine, and Mm -hmm. all of that. And so, you know, treat it like you were quitting alcohol. Just remove yourself from the substance. Second step is let your heart break. Really let yourself fall apart. And a lot of people say to me, but I have been. I've been doing that already. I am heartbroken. Like, trust me, I'm feeling the pain. Mm -hmm. But I often see people resisting the pain, wanting to numb out with the pain, with drugs, alcohol, sex, moving on to someone else, scrolling on social media, escaping, overly exercising, starving themselves, whatever it is, and punishing themselves in a way instead of sitting with and putting your hand on your heart, which seems really basic, and I was very resistant to this myself, breathing through it, letting the tears flow, taking some time off of work. This is a loss. I mean, that's the worst worst pain that I have experienced at this point in my life at 42 years old. Being really gentle, cancel the plans. I don't care if it's your best friend's birthday. You don't have to be on for people. Like really taking care of yourself as if you were physically ill because you can feel like you're physically ill. So at what point though, like say someone is like very, you know, like grieving, like actually grieving. At what point are you like, okay, like let's reel it in and move on with life? Yeah. Because certain people are like, you know, dwellers, ruminating. Exactly. I just think this sounds so simple, Sif. But it really was a huge component of what was missing for me in my searching on how to heal quicker. 
giving that step two, giving yourself the permission to grieve versus indulging and spiraling. And this is the worst thing ever. And how do I heal it? And I also need to get more information. And if I just had this like last conversation with him and I got my answers then and just like spiraling in the drama of it all versus you are experiencing a huge loss right now. And this is really fucking hard and heavy and daunting and overwhelming. And how do you do the basics? Like maybe go out for a walk and like take your broken heart with you everywhere and nurse yourself and speak to that most likely broken little girl within or person within. And I always say this to my clients. If you treat yourself in that way as you consciously let your heart break versus just like grieve and spiral and and you have to do that for a little bit. I'm not mm-hmm. saying there's anything wrong with that. But then like, whoa, no, I'm going to treat myself differently as I grieve and give myself this conscious permission and take good care of me. There is an opening for step three, mm-hmm. which is create closure. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell anyone, oh, and this is for how long you do this. Oftentimes when my clients start working with me, whether it's one-on-one or my group, look, let's for the next 30 days do this and let's see where you're feeling afterwards. And there's a big difference between beating yourself up, judging yourself, resisting it, and being kind to yourself and carving out that time to process it. Mm-hmm. And there will be an opening, a window to say, okay, now I'm ready to shift this story. Now I'm ready to really start working on the closure component of the story, which is step three Mm -hmm. of my five-step process. And what's the closure component? Tell me about it. It's creating closure for yourself without getting it from them. (laughs) Uh. Now, again, it's it's hard to say in just one conversation, Sif, because let's say you were dating someone for six weeks versus if Larry left me tomorrow after three and a half years, I would have some questions, right? If it came out of the blue and I was just completely shocked, right? So you get to ask your questions. You get to have the conversation. But oftentimes, and I did this too, it's like two months later, oh, I'm going to write this letter and like really give my final piece on things. Mm -hmm. But really when you're doing that, it's like, a final poke, right? If we're really creating closure, we don't need to do that with the other person. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? When you're in the longing, it's reminding yourself of what didn't work in the relationship. You know, I talk about my heart getting broken all the time throughout most of my 20s and my 30s, but it got broken because I was asking for things that I needed that were fair asks that they didn't want to honor. And so it just became more painful. But the reality is I didn't want to be in a relationship where I didn't know whether or not I was seeing you on the weekends. And I was feeling like I was up bother and that you were trying to squeeze me in with your work and your friends and your family, like feeling like I was fourth or fifth on the list, Mm -hmm. right? So really remembering why that relationship didn't work in the first place and recognizing that you do deserve better and can have better. And I think the other component is looking at the bigger universal lesson. How did I attract this person? What did this teacher teach me to serve me for me to reflect back on myself? So perfect example of that was my last heartbreak in 2017. I was building my coaching business at the time. He went to an Ivy League college. He was pretty established in his career. I had a personal assistant job to support building my business. And there would just be these digs that he would Mm. make about me being a personal assistant. And his parents would understand better if I was a therapist versus a coach. And just these little subtle digs that were, you know, major triggers for me and my own insecurities. And after that relationship, I was like, 
I'm fucking awesome. I'm really good at what I do. I'm, I dream big and I am going after something that I know I'm really good at that's taking time. And I don't want to be with someone that's going to insult me and be passive aggressive with me. Yeah. Also, I mean, like those sorts of people who are like, they put you down for whatever it is you're doing. Like, so what if you're a PA or a server or whatever, you know, like if that's what if that's what you're doing, if that's where you're content, whether that is yeah. actually where you're content or you're doing that to get somewhere else, yeah, there should be, I feel like, support from your partner. Especially if they believe in what you're doing, totally. right? I, I mean, for me, I was in my mid-30s at that point and anyone out there who has a hustler side job or that's your main thing, amazing, right? But for me, I wasn't thrilled at that point, and I was nervous about, Am I? is this business going to take mm-hmm. off? And the irony is, he's the one who inspired the heartbreak business, because I was already a general coach, and after him, I was like, I got to make this heartbreak, and then it took off. So again, thank you, right? What's the bigger universal lesson when you're creating closure? He taught me so much still. Yes, I, I was light years ahead from rock bottom relationship at 29, 30 years old. At that point, I think I was 35 or 36. And I still had more healing and love and ownership of myself that I wasn't doing, mm-hmm. right? To circle back earlier to what you're saying of, you know, well, why do you then keep attracting when you think you're doing the yeah. work? There's just more healing, more growth, more self-love to embody. And you just got to keep your eye on the prize. Do you want to move me yes. to move to step yes. four? I'll move it along. And then step four. So we've got one, uh, cut contact. Two, let your heart break. Three, create closure. Four, fall in love with you, which I touched on earlier. Really looking at your relationship in all different areas of your life with yourself. Where are you at in your career? Where are you at with your relationship in with your body? So I have a 75-video course that I give to my group clients and my one-on-one clients. And so they have the breakdown of the stop wanting and back, fall in love with you, find someone better. And just really looking at where can you deepen your connection with yourself? And it could look different for everybody. I also have a video in there about when you don't believe love is in the cards for you because I think you can date yourself and also work on your belief that love is on the cards in the cards for you even before you actively date and then step five is actively dating Mm -hmm. find someone better and I have a whole process for that too so I want to circle back to step one which is obviously cut contact I saw you take a note there Sif I was like everyone has questions about cut contact (laughs) do you think it's possible to stay friends with your ex I do years after the fact. Huh. Okay. I just, I think that transition. And also, if you want to find love afterwards, so again, this is going to be different for everybody, but I wasn't really interested in Larry being friends with his most recent Mm ex-girlfriend. I just don't think that that's healthy or normal. Like you were just intimate and romantic with this person not too long ago. And now you're going to tell me that there's like complete platonic energy between the two of you. That's just my own thought on it. But like I have two exes from 10 plus years ago who have circled back into my life in a very organic way. And truly one of them, I we're not officially engaged, but one day we're going to get married. Like one of them will be invited to my wedding. Mm-hmm. I just it's total platonic energy, total respect. And I just think 
time needs to pass and a disconnection needs to happen. Now, let's say you work with the person or you share a kid with the person. Obviously, you have to work through that and there are boundaries to implement. And I would never be that black and white about the approach. But I don't know. It just it doesn't feel clean to me personally. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have clients where they have, you know, transitioned out. I actually have a dear friend where she's transitioned out of her romantic relationship and they still live together and they but they were together for a decade. And so it works for her. Um, but I would say for the most part, it wouldn't be what I would suggest. Yeah. Especially if there's pain or residual longing on either end. That's what yeah. it comes down to, yeah, right? Yeah, 100%. That's it. If, if I think like the relationship has at some point already moved into platonic and you decide to like call it quits, I think that that's like a little bit different. But and you can talk about dating other people, right? Totally. Like my friend who still lives with her ex. I mean, it's like, they date other people. Mm -hmm. It's not a thing. Yeah. You know? yeah so, I mean, that's when you know you can totally be friends with them. Yeah, absolutely. So we have two audience questions. Ooh, I love it. So one of them is, what do you do if you are ghosted? Oh, I have a whole article on this. Well, from great. <laughs> so just read the article. No, I'm kidding. So again, it, it, it depends on how long you've been with the person, right? If you went on a couple of dates with someone and they ghost you, it sucks no matter what. Mm -hmm. But you really got to take the personal out of it because this is what people are doing. To revert back to another Pooch article I just yeah. wrote, it hasn't been published yet as we record this, but people are just swiping through and treating people like objects mm -hmm. on a catalog. Oof. And so I know that that's painful and that might not be you, but that is what is happening. And so you just have to manage your mind around it. I also, the way I like to look at it is, this is a great lesson for you to not do the same to other people. Being like, thank you so much for showing me who you are, that you're, you know, if we had a lovely time a couple of times and you're no longer interested and you're not man enough or woman enough, right, to tell me the truth, then I'm not interested anyway. It's pretty, it's a pretty spineless move if there was a lovely connection, but someone just didn't feel like there was a romantic connection. So the way I look at it is, wow, thank you for showing me who you are. This is a great example of creating closure, Right taking it so personally when someone really doesn't fully know you mm -hmm. and then taking it personally when they're the one that acted like the asshole. So I think that's easier to do when it's a couple of dates. Let's say it's six weeks, eight weeks, and you really feel like you've built more of a connection. That truly is very painful. But the work that I would do if we were working together is, you know, what, again, was going on in that relationship that made you assume that there was something more going on than what was. That's not to make you feel dumb or ignorant or naive or anything, but it's really important to recognize that that person wasn't as available as what you thought because I'm never blindsided by ghosters. When my clients tell me yeah. that they've been ghosted, whether it's, well, if you only met them two times, we need to lower our expectations too about people who ghost us right off the bat, right? We don't know them. They're literal like, I was about to say objects on the internet. No, that's how they're treating <laughs> they're, they're you, literal ghosts. right? But they are, yeah. But like, they're, you know, we have no idea. A lot of the time, we haven't even asked them what they're looking for yet. And even when someone says to me, but they said they were looking for a relationship, Claire. I'm like, saying that they're looking for a relationship is different than, that's like saying, I want to be a successful actor. Okay, who's your representation? How many auditions are you going out on? What acting class are you in? Like, what are you doing to make that happen? Mm -hmm. Desire and make making it happen are two different things. Yeah. And also, I think with ghosting and I mean, I'm I'm like, I guess I'm lucky because I'm in a very, very healthy relationship. I love my husband very yeah. much. But, yeah. you know, also with ghosting, like anything else that kind of falls apart, I'm like, 
you should be thankful that this person showed you their true colors before you got knee deep into this, you know, because exactly. if they are the type of person who's ghosting, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I totally agree. It's like, thank you for showing me who you are yeah. next. And but we have to have the resilience and the grit to understand it is a part of the process. Yeah. And don't let I don't care if 10 people have ghosted you. Don't let the 10 ghosters stop you from going online because I found my person online. There's a lot of drama and resistance to going online and mm -hmm. doing online dating. But, you know, yeah, a majority of them suck. I'm sorry to say, but it's true. I <laughs> did it for seven or eight years. And, you know, th but there are diamonds in the rough. And you have to think, like, if you think you're such a prize, then know that like attracts like. But don't let those ghosters dictate your ability to find someone potentially on the apps. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so last question, also an audience question. How to navigate dating for those who've never really dated before and feel late to the game? You know, feeling late to the game is just a story, right? I mean, I have a client and she's a really successful lawyer and she went from undergrad to law school to then working those crazy 90-hour weeks and found herself on the apps and found love at 28 for the first time and didn't know what she was doing. And ultimately, they broke up and it turned out that, you know, he was pretty emotionally unavailable and it floored her. And it's like, you are where you are for a reason. So I have a video on this in the Fall in Love With You section of my course Owning your love life story, whatever it is, right? Because some people, like my partner was married for 12 years with kids. What's your story? How did you get there? How did it not work out? Like owning who you are and where you were and who you were with. And the same for if you were not in a relationship or for someone like me, I didn't say I love you for the for nine years. So my rock bottom relationship was the last time I technically was in love. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until nine years later when I met Larry, it was the first time that I said, I love you. You know, he could judge me for that and say, whoa, well, you don't have experience. I had tons of experience. <laughs> I was dating lots of people and I was living and learning from it. So I just owned that. I was single at 38 and found him and was just like, this is me and I'm not going to apologize. And I can, it's not like justifying or explaining yourself. It's just when you own your love life history, whether it's existent or non-existent, the right person is going to love your story as well. Also, I think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves regarding like time and too late, you know, and it's not just exclusively in the love arena. It's like, oh, I'm too late to start a business. Oh, I, I like I wish I'd changed careers earlier. And time, it's like it's a construct that you put on yourself, a you know, 100 percent. So Sif. when yeah. you take that away, I think it just it's at least one element that you've taken away that makes things easier for you. I totally agree. And I think it just comes down to what is your desire in this moment? If you have a burning desire for love or to start a business and it's just gnawing at your soul, the timing is perfect, right? Mm. Because then that means it's time to do it. And I don't know. My guess is because you're in your 30s, right? Yeah. My guess is that listener might be younger than me mm -hmm. and younger than 38 when I found Larry. And I truly believe, and I know people listening might roll your eyes and say, like, of course, you're going to say that after the fact. But I actually was doing the mindset work to call him in while also deliberately swiping and putting myself out there. And one of the beliefs that I imagined I would think, and I listened to your episode with Mimi Bouchard. Mm -hmm. So I loved that whole, you know, imagining the future and what you would think and how you would feel. And, and I do a lot of that work with my clients is he had to show up at this time. 
And I didn't know when that time would be, right? Yeah. But I thought my thought would be, oh, he had to show up at this time, really trusting in the timing while me still doing the inner work and the outer work. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't care when he was coming. And, you know, he's he turned 50 last August. I'm now 42. It's like, I still will have, God pray, if we're healthy and alive, another 50 years with each other. Like, that's still it's a long time, people. Time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's still moments I'm like, oh, God, babe, is this my future? Because, you know, we all have our quirks and, you know, make fun of each other as yeah. we're getting older and noticing each other's, you know, little isms. And it's just, you know, there's if you want it now, now is the best time to find it and get out of your mind made story that's too late because majority of people got married in their mid 20s, late to, mid to late 20s, early 30s. And also, I always say this, too. I have a few friends who got married that young and are very happy. And I don't know when how old were you when you got married? 30, 30. Yeah. yeah. I think there are a lot of people who got married in mid-20s to early 30s who now in their early 40s, my friends, are not happy, right? Because they did it unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you guys are a total power couple. So I'm not saying, and I don't mean to generalize for everybody, but a lot of the people who come to me are the ones that did get married at that age or didn't and now think it's harder later. And that's just not true. Absolutely. I have a 68-year-old woman who just joined my program. So if she can do it, then I don't want to hear any complaints about, oh, I'm too old, all the good ones are gone. It's too late. Yeah, that that doesn't exist. Yeah. So throw that thought <laughs> away, people. Exactly. Claire, this has been awesome. Tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Sif. I am on Instagram at Claire the Heartbreak Coach, C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can go to my website to find out all about my offers at ClaireTheHeartbreakCoach.com. And I have a podcast called Stop Wanting Him Back and Find Someone Better on all the major platforms. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.